episode 19 of ICO 41, weekly in-depth analysis of initial coin offerings. of ICO 41. My name is Owen Scott and I'm your podcast host. This podcast generally focuses deeply on a single ICO each week and presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology. What's different about this podcast is that we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend time communicating directly with the team in question, and then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice nor as information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform and not to suggest. Now, while it is true that this podcast generally focuses on a single ICO each week, we are doing something completely different this time. And that's because we need to talk about what you might call the release cycle of an entire class of coins that are completely different from the method by which initial coin offerings are generally conducted. If you happen to be a subscriber and you remember back to episode 12, which was titled ROI Coin, you'll remember that episode as a sort of discovery of what I called a relatively rare event, wherein the coin was released without a so-called ICO event, and which was released as a mineable coin that would grow organically over time. Well, since that podcast, I've learned a few things. First, that these types of coins are not quite as rare as I initially realized, And that, two, these types of so-called non-ICO coins, while they can certainly be characterized as such, are by no means all the same. And they're not even structured precisely in the same way. They certainly share similarities, but there are some important nuances, which you should be aware of as you explore this segment of the cryptocurrency space. And finally, just like a typical ICO, it is absolutely critical that you do every bit as much due diligence before investing a penny into any of these. However, the due diligence that you do is rather different than a traditional ICO, as you will see. The other aspect of these coins is one that, at least to me, is very compelling for a number of reasons. And I'm referring mainly to the masternode concept. First, when we're discussing masternodes, I think it's only fair that we give credit where credit is due. And that would be... The Dash Project. The Dash Project, as far as I'm concerned, is the pioneer of the masternode concept. And in keeping with this podcast, we're going to aim for a really foundational understanding. It should be understood that at the time of the Dash project, the number of nodes that were running Bitcoin had actually decreased. In fact, it appeared to be a trend. And needless to say, the price of Bitcoin had not yet spiked to astronomical levels. And so the point of the master node in Dash's original white paper was to provide more incentive for someone to run a full node. This was actually perceived as a potential problem. And so 
Dash invented the idea of a node, wherein the node operator puts up a bond of collateral to operate the node. And in the case of Dash, it was 1,000 Dash tokens. Now, along with the collateral of the node, there also comes a block reward. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with block rewards from Bitcoin. Miners get block rewards. But in Dash, there's actually a two-tiered network with the miners that create new blocks and the master nodes providing specific functions. In the case of Dash, which is considered a privacy coin, used to be called dark coin, that would be the private send and the instant send functions. They also provide some governance functions, for instance, voting. In this type of two-tiered network, the block reward for every block is split between the master nodes and the miners. Now this varies, but with Dash, it's 45% and 45%. 45% goes to the master nodes and 45% goes to the miners. Now you might wonder where that 10% goes, and this is actually quite fascinating and really interesting about Dash, is that 10% goes to a, what you might call a decentralized treasury system. In this way, the master node can be used as a sort of annuity that pays regularly without sacrificing the original capital. And this capital, the 1,000 Dash, is never forfeited, but it is required to be staked to run the node. Now, if any one of those 1,000 coins are sold, the master node is automatically removed from the network and the rewards stop. So this collateral system provides two critical functions. It incentivizes participants to run a node, which as in all blockchains means a healthy and secure network. And secondly, it provides a reduction in the volatility of the currency. The first thing we should take a moment to mention is the success of these ideas. First, let's just take Dash as an investment. In January of 2015, which is about 36 months ago, a masternode for Dash cost and was worth about $1,262. A year later, in January of 2016, it cost and was worth about $14,447. And a year after that, as of yesterday, it was worth a bit over $1.07 million. Now, by all accounts, this makes the run-up to Bitcoin seem pale in comparison. This coin dash is successful in ways that other currencies are not as well. For instance, take the 10% so-called treasury fund. This fund now has a monthly budget of about $8 million or more to fund various projects. And as you might imagine, the masternodes are the ones which vote on the allocation of project funding using this treasury. In this way, the Dash community is quite unlike any other cryptocurrency whatsoever, Bitcoin included. Another thing to understand about Dash is that it's the ancestor, if you will, of many of the plethora of masternode coins that now appear on a weekly basis. So understanding how Dash works and where it came from will help you understand most of the coins that we're going to discuss in this episode. Okay, so now you understand what a masternode is 
And I would venture to say that most of the people listening to this podcast are not going to be able to go out and purchase a Dash Masternode tomorrow. But you might be interested to know that the popularity of this class of coins that are springing up weekly are driven, in fact, by the availability of master nodes, especially at the early stages of the coin's development. Now, before I talk in detail about the life cycle of how these coins are released and how they actually work, I want to explain why I'm doing this episode and why I'm extremely interested in these types of coins. First, I'll recognize now and later in this episode that in this space, just like the typical ICO space, there's a high risk profile and a fair number of outright scams. But there are also plenty of coins that are working out very well for people, and this is why. With the recent actions of the SEC, we're now starting to see two trends in initial coin offerings. And I'm talking about the token sales now, ICOs. The first is an outright barring of United States investors. And the second is a shift toward private sales, these uh, SAFT-based agreements, to accredited investors only with high minimum investments. Just for instance, last week we saw the B token sale to accredited investors with a 50 Ether minimum. This is a trend. And this class of coin does not have that characteristic at all. Because, with a rare exception of masternode auctions, which I'll mention in a minute, these coins are not direct sales at all. They're accessible to anyone. And just about anyone who has an interest to participate can participate, whether they do it through mining or whether they do it through purchasing the coins on exchanges. So for me, and I think you might agree after you hear my own personal story about one of these coins... These coins represent a way for just about everyone to get involved with cryptocurrency in a relatively low-risk way. Now, before I talk about any specific coins, before I even tell my own story about dipping a toe into this space, let me talk about the typical life cycle of one of these coins. First, it starts out with an announcement on Bitcoin Talk. Now, if you remember the ROI coin announcement, it's about how they go. It's usually proof-of-work, proof-of-stake, which allows both miners and people to stake coins. Promise of masternodes is usually in the announcement. The mining algorithm is established and published. And interestingly enough, that very often drives the audience of the miners. As an example, last week, I read a comment on a coin that was something like, oh, another script coin for rich ASIC miners. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. That's just written by someone who's probably using their GPU to mine, or maybe they have a few GPUs strung together. The other thing that's mentioned in the announcement of these coins is how many coins are pre-mined. Now, this is an important point. It's usually around 5% or so, but it could be more than that. If it gets much more than that, it raises some eyebrows. And in fact, that's one of the ways in which these coins are judged by the community, as well they should be. A high pre-mine will attract criticism, and it will cause some suspicion, since the value of the stake of the original developer may provide a bit too much temptation to continue or not continue the project if the value increases pretty quickly. So it's important to look at the announcement and look at some of the characteristics and then read the comments with a grain of salt and considering some of the troll-like behavior that you might see on Bitcoin Talk. Nevertheless, it's important to listen carefully to what 
some of the people are saying on Bitcoin Talk in reaction to the original announcement when you examine these coins. And especially around things like pre-mine, around things like the total number of coins, there's always going to be some hard questions asked. Now the next step you'll see is for pools, mining pools to feature the coin so that miners can create coins and introduce tokens into circulation. Now at this point the concept of circulation doesn't really have very much meaning because at this early stage the coins are not on an exchange yet. But mining is very, very important because it's the only way that coins are generated. Remember, these are not those ICOs that are just pre-mined and sold. These coins are mined. Now, this first step, you might be interested to know, is sort of fraught with peril. The biggest problem here can be when a developer might make a mistake, for instance, and that allows a large percentage of early coins to be mined by just one or two even one address. This was the near fatal mistake of B3Coin. And you might even be surprised to know that this was a mistake with Dash, where fully 10% of the entire supply of Dash coins were mined in the first two days by just a few Amazon ECS customers who were mining in the very beginning. This, by the way, you might be interested to know, was attributed to a bug in the code that surfaced when they cloned the code from Litecoin. The developer offered to start completely over with Dash, but the community said, nope, nope, don't worry about it. Let's just keep moving forward. And surprisingly, they did. Interestingly, in fact, if you go to Bitcoin Wiki, uh, the site has a page up named Comparison of Cryptocurrencies. And that states that because of this problem that happened uh, in Dash, the masternode algorithm for Dash has technically been in a failure mode from the beginning. But it was just last week that I found an announcement paid for one of these types of coins that we're talking about here today. Uh, it was only a few pages, which is rare. When I read all the pages, I discovered that the developer had made the same mistake. This developer apologized all over himself, shut down the Bitcoin talk thread, and said, sorry, sorry, I'm going to re-release soon. <laughs> so that's an issue. All right, you got you to gotta watch that. But it's, it's not just bugs that are the problem here. It's also the likes of NiceHash. So what a coin needs at this early stage is a distributed set of miners, if at all possible. Like the ideal situation would be a lot of different miners receiving about the same amount of reward. Now that's completely impossible that that's going to happen exactly, uh, even on the so-called ASIC resistant coins, because there's so many people that have phenomenal GPU rigs out there. They have an insane amount of hash power and they can just point it at a given coin, NiceHash obviously being one of them. But the problem is that if just a few addresses obtain all of the blocks, miners will tend to get discouraged pretty quickly, the smaller miners. So the trick in this stage for the life of a coin like this is to attract a lot of miners without getting blasted by the big guys. Now the next natural step and by the way, especially this step and the next step, these are not all linear steps. They, they certainly happen in parallel. Is to introduce masternodes. Generally, the masternode step consists of releasing code and instructions for installing a masternode. But there's been some exceptions. For instance, on the Lysis Discord channel, 
That's L-I-Z-U-S. Last week, I noticed that the Liza's team were auctioning off masternodes. Well, actually, let me let me qualify that carefully. I have to be careful because when someone said that they actually came under fire uh, and uh, there was a back and forth. So I'm going to be very specific. Lysis were auctioning off blocks of 1,000 coins. A masternode requires 5,000 coins. So if someone bought five blocks of 1,000 coins directly from the developer in an auction, they could use those to create a masternode. Now, the price of those blocks of coins, if you actually did want to run a masternode for that coin, put them together, would actually be about $65,000 for a masternode at the price of Bitcoin on that day that I saw the auctions. Now, I'm just going to say this method of releasing masternodes is pretty unusual as far as I can tell. To be honest, personally, I think it's a little bit unfortunate mainly because one of the great benefits of these coins is the fact that they are accessible to those that don't have 50000 or more to drop on an untested investment. So I'm kind of hoping that this doesn't become a trend for all these coins. But you know what? Even if it does, there are ways to participate through what's called a shared masternode service, which I'm going to explain in a moment. Now, the next step which, as I mentioned before, is actually a parallel step with the masternode, is getting listed on an exchange. Now, getting listed on an exchange is a milestone that is absolutely critical for the success of one of these coins. Because it allows people to participate and construct masternodes without having to mine for coins. The challenge here is twofold. First, the big exchanges like BitThumb and Bitfinex and the other enormous exchanges like Kraken and Polyonyx, they're not going to list these new coins. And there are not a lot of stable minor exchanges, if you will, that will list these coins. Those that are relatively stable, these minor exchanges like Cryptopia, they charge high fees to list coins. Just to give you an idea, Two and a half weeks ago, I was on a Discord server for a given coin, and the team was complaining that Cryptopia was gouging these coins by charging five Bitcoin to list their coin. A week later, I was on another Discord server, and I heard that the price had risen to seven Bitcoin. And three days ago, I heard the price for Cryptopia for a listing was 10 Bitcoin. And yesterday, now this one just might be a rumor because it wasn't corroborated, I heard that they raised the listing fee to 30 Bitcoin. Just to be clear, let's just forget about the 30 Bitcoin. I think the 10 Bitcoin is probably uh, accurate. That's about $140,000 right now. 30 Bitcoin, that approaches half a million dollars. That's just a listing fee. So you can imagine the pressures to get listed on these exchanges. In fact... I noticed on Lysis, when they were asked why they were conducting these 1,000-coin auctions, the Lysis team explained that they needed the money to get listed on the exchange. Getting on an exchange is essentially life or death for a coin. In fact, I would say that if you go poking around, you'll probably find a graveyard of coins that never quite made it on an exchange. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to go far. Just go to deadcoins.com and you'll see what I mean. All right, the next critical step for masternode coins, anyway, is getting listed on the masternode sites. 
Now there's about a half a dozen main ones, masternodes.pro, masternodes.online, mnrank.com. Those are just three, three good ones. This is a very, very important step because those sites list the return on investment, which is the primary reason for participants to get involved. It's that ROI. Now, talking about ROI, it's important to understand that in the beginning of most coins, the ROI tends to be quite large. That's mainly to attract the attention of participants as well as to establish strong incentive to create a healthy network of masternodes. If you remember the episode where I talked about B3, this is actually a little bit of a delicate dance here. You want a high ROI to attract masternodes and participants, but you don't want it to be so high as to create massive inflation to destroy the value of the token. You should always remember when you're dealing with these coins that ROI will naturally decrease over time for these types of coins. That's a natural tendency. And I think that you should keep that in mind when you think about the strategy of participating in this space later on in the episode when I tell my story about how I started. Now, these masternode site listings are really important, almost as important as the exchange listings when it comes to the success of this type of coin. And you'll notice if you go to those masternode sites, it's actually quite interesting. At the bottom of the listing, you will find the ability to donate to get a coin listed. Now you think to yourself, why would anybody do that? Well, there's actually quite a bit of self-interest there. The people who would donate are the people who have a masternode before getting listed on the site, because you don't have to be listed on the site to get a masternode, but there's a great incentive to do so. So somebody who has a masternode who's getting the coins, they can donate and get that coin listed that much quicker on the masternode site. I thought that was an interesting characteristic of these type of coins. Now the next milestone after the exchanges, and after the masternodes site, is to get listed on coinmarketcap.com. This actually happens after a certain amount of trading volume. So this, in fact, is a linear step in that the coin has to be listed on an exchange in order for CoinMarketCap to list the coin. This is a significant milestone, and you'll see the result when I tell my little story that's coming up. Now, those are the high-level steps for these coins. These are the steps that you will expect to see. And when you drop into the Discord server or look on the Bitcoin Talk announcement page or wherever you end up dealing with the staff that are working on this coin, you'll be able to know right where they are in the life cycle based on what you see. So if a coin makes it this far... I think there's a good chance that that coin's going to make it. Okay, so now I want to tell my story. Now, this story is completely factual, no exaggeration, no made-up numbers. This is exactly how it played out. First, let me just tell you that I've been eyeing this space uh, since the ROI coin in B3 episode. I aired that back in November. Now, at that time, there were about six or seven masternodes that were going for between three and $5,000 which, by the way, now are multiples of that. I'm talking about coins like Innova and Vivo and the like. And in the last week of December, after I had returned home from a trip outside the country, I was ready to give it a shot. I was still a little bit skeptical, though, especially after the B3 debacle. So I decided to risk a much smaller amount. 
Now, fortunately, you can do that. I did it through finding what is known as a shared masternode service. And the one that I found was by someone called Ghostminer. A shared masternode service is simply someone who collects enough tokens for a given coin for a masternode. Then they fire up the masternode, and then they pay out according to the percentage that each participant invested with them. In this case, Ghostminer collects a 5% fee and pays out daily to participants. And so using this service, I sent 50 POLIS tokens, that's P-O-L-I-S, to Ghostminer for a 120th seat of a 1,000 token masternode for POLIS. And I did this on December 27th. Now at the time, the price of POLIS was about $3 per token. And a masternode was about $3,000. My investment was $150. Then, between December 29th and yesterday, I received an average of about 3.6 tokens per day in return for my stake, as it were. So now I have the original 50 tokens. Well, actually, I, I don't have them. The Ghost Miner Masternode service holds the tokens on behalf of the participants so that the Masternode can continue to run. That's how Masternodes work. But I also have a little bit over 49 tokens in my own wallet because I was paid on a daily basis from the, my distribution of my share of the masternode. So total, that's about 99 coins. Now, the price of Polis was rising steadily over the last few weeks, but about four days ago, they were listed on coin market cap. Now, if you remember, that's stage five of the journey above. And now the price is $49.80. Actually, it's dipped down to about $40, but yesterday it was $49. That makes my original investment of $150 on December 27, 2018 worth today, which is the 14th of January, about $4,100. Now at this point, I'm free to either send Ghostminer the 50 tokens that I've earned for a second seat of polis and then get presumably five or six polis tokens a day or and this is probably what i'm going to do i can instead just keep the original 50 coins on my shared seat of polis keep receiving the two or three a day and then trade those other 50 coins that i got on an exchange for a different coin and then send ghost miner a second seat on a maybe newer, possibly less expensive coin in the hopes of repeating this story. This is precisely how people can use shared masternode hosting services like ghost miners to work their way up the chain of a masternode investment. Now, naturally, I'm also free to cash in the coins and take US dollars, but for me, I don't think I'm going to do that. Not yet. Most important part of all of this is to make sure that you find a shared masternode service as honest and professional as ghost miners. You can find a link to the Discord channel on ICO41.com. It's going to be in the post that is associated with this episode. Now let's just take a step back and remember something. This all started with about $150. Now this is what I mean 
that along with the concept of a shared masternode service, this is the type of cryptocurrency market that allows almost everyone to participate. A college student can afford $150. A high school student can afford $150. A single mom struggling with two jobs can probably afford $150. I'm obviously not advocating this because I'm not giving investment advice, but I am telling a story. You can take it any way you want. But I want to again emphasize that this space has its shared of scammers as well. Every step that you take must be double-checked and triple-checked. If you're going to go with a shared masternode, you've really got to find the right one. I personally have found Ghostminer to be absolutely trustworthy. Everything is conducted in the open on Discord. Every payout is announced. You can go back and do the research and find out how much people have made. and That'll give you a good idea. Um, I've seen many multiples of my little tiny transactions being conducted in the open. So I think the key is to find some kind of service like that or, or use ghost miners. Secondly, you need to read every post on the Bitcoin talk announcement for a given coin that you're interested in. You definitely need to join the Discord and or the Telegram channels and you need to read and read and listen and listen. And if you feel so inclined, ask questions. You can visit the website. I won't say that that source will be quite as useful as listening to people interact and reading the community postings, but you do have the website of most coins. They will usually have them. There won't usually be a white paper, but there might be. There probably won't be a stellar team to look at or even a company. There's just going to be a developer, but you can go back and you can read about a developer and you can look at the challenges that they've faced in the past. And So there's plenty of research that you can do. You do have to be careful. I have dropped into Discord channels where the community is bemoaning the fact that the developer has left. They sold some masternodes and they just disappeared and the coin was dying. They were going to take it over. These things happen. You've got to watch this. And you've got to know that this is a risky space. And that's why if you use something like a shared masternode service, you're distributing your risk. And thirdly, you have to watch this carefully. There's going to come a time when the masternode that you're invested in will not pay like it did in the beginning. And at that point, you have to decide what you want to do. Because as coins rise in value, they very often drop in ROI. Now, Dash, if you think about it, has a most unbelievable return in terms of the price and value of the coin. But if you go to masternodes.pro, you'll look at Dash and it has a relatively low ROI at this point in time. It's very mature. You would expect it to have such. A lot of the valuations that you find on these early coins don't make a lot of sense. So some of them have been described, many of them, as a pump and dump scheme. It very well may be true that these, what, this is what they are. So consider that in your mind in terms of timing. Consider that strategically, if you're going to do this, strategically think about what could happen. Spread your risk out appropriately. So if you want to get started with this, the first thing you got to do is go and choose a coin. Okay, so go on over to masternodes.online or go over to mnrank.com or go over to masternodes.pro. You can sort by ROI. 
Then you look very carefully at the numbers. You look at the return on investment. You look at the number of coins. You look at how long the coin has been around. You look at the monthly, the weekly, the daily. You look at the markets that the coins are on, if they're on any markets. And then if you're using a shared service like Ghost Miners, you have to make sure that the coin that you're interested in is supported by that. Now, you also have the ability to suggest a coin as well. Remember just to do your due diligence, especially if you're spending a significant amount. Right now, today, the top coins on the site are Artax, Polis, Numis, MooCoin. Next week, you're going to see a whole different list. So it's there's no point in me calling out certain coins. I told my Polis story. That might have been pure luck, but a lot of these coins are doing very much the same thing on a weekly basis, and all you got to do is just really do your due diligence and have a look at them and read, read, read. The last thing I'm going to say is that this is not easy. There is nothing easy about any of this. It may have sounded easy the way that I told the Polis story, but I'll just tell you, it just, just isn't that simple. Be prepared to deal with wallet issues. If you're technical enough and you have the money and you want to run your own masternode instead of doing a shared service, be prepared for a lot of technical steps, possibly troubleshooting. If you're purchasing the coins, be prepared for massive exchange issues. There have been nightmares with exchanges lately. Cryptopia was shut down to new registrations because they'd reached their limit. They couldn't take it anymore. Coinsmarkets.com. That's a very important exchange for these small coins. Completely down for about three weeks now, wreaking all kinds of havoc. There's a new one, a new Russian exchange called Stocks.exchange. Huge problems. They've been labeled as a scam a half a dozen times. I don't think they are half a dozen thousand times, I should say. I don't think they're a scam. I just think they're having trouble because Coins Markets was down and all the traffic went over there. They're just it's just very difficult right now. So exchanges are really a problem. Getting your hands on the coins are a problem. A lot of people characterize this type of investment or this type of uh, cryptocurrency participation as passive income. I personally wouldn't use the term passive for anything that I've experienced recently with this, but it's possible that that's because I'm a hands-on person. In any case, I hope you find this as exciting and compelling as I have. Have a look at this and, uh, don't, be, and don't hesitate to reach back out and let me know how it's going. Uh, for me, this is just a really interesting journey, and uh, I do want to spread the word on this because I feel like these coins are just more accessible than the ICOs, than some of these $10, $20, 30000000 million ICOs that uh, we've been covering over the last few months. All right, I'm out of time this week. I hope you enjoyed this somewhat different approach to a whole different class of coins, and I'll see you next week. 